I want to talk to you about Jesus, our Jubilee. And we sung this song this morning. And what, what, Becky, goodness gracious. Anybody up here, when they open their mouth, just the glory of God is there. But uh, there's something special and attached to the singing about Jubilee. And we're going to talk about it this morning. We're going to talk about it from a biblical context a little bit and kind of understand what it is for those of you that may not know, and many of you I'm sure do. Uh, but for those of you that may not know, there is biblical context uh, for everything that we do um, and everything that Jesus did. In fact, Jesus said everything that was in the Old Testament spoke of him anyways. In fact, the Bible says that all of the law and the prophets pointed to Jesus. The, the, the thing that we have that is, um, that is to our advantage over those that were in the Old Covenant is we look through the lens of Jesus and have a complete understanding of what was being said in the Old Testament. When they were back there, they were just could see just a little bit. Uh, you could see like a type or a shadow or, or a, a foretelling of what was to come. But now we have seen and experienced the one who rose from the dead, the one that said it is finished, the one that was buried in a tomb and came back from the dead, the one that actually is our jubilee. But we, to understand what it means to sing, this is Jubilee, or what Jubilee even means, we're going to have to have biblical context. I think that if we had, I know we need to teach this, because if you had understood the biblical context, when Becky sung Jubilee, you'd have been shouting a whole lot better than you were, and you were doing fine. Thank you, Johnny. I'm going to rely on you today, big boy. There is, there is you are living in the greatest time that has ever been. Do not believe the prognosticators and do not believe the pundits and do not believe anything you hear on the news almost. Believe me when I tell you, you are not living in perilous times. You are not living in tumultuous times. You are not living in fearful times. You are living in the greatest time that there has ever been in the history of mankind. There is more that is being revealed and more that is being seen from the heavenly realm of the earth than has ever been seen or ever been revealed in the history of mankind. We do not live in the darkest hour. If you're living in the darkest hour, hello, I thought you were the light. And if you're the light of the world, I'm looking at a bunch of lights in here. All the darkness in hell can't hold back the light that is with inside of you. In fact, if you were to turn all these lights off in this building and completely black this place out and take a single solitary match and light a match, it would illuminate this room. Now, you would not be able to see everything clearly, but there's no amount of darkness because darkness is not a thing. It's simply the absence of a thing. Darkness is not a tangible, touchable, understandable thing. Darkness is simply the absence of light. However, on the other hand, light is something, and light is tangible, and the flame of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you will overcome all of the darkness that is out there. I feel like we need to do jumping jacks. Just kidding. This is, talk, <laughs> who said that? <laughs> I love it. She did, yeah, you did. On one of the songs, there's five or six of you up here. I know Bella and uh, Rachel are always doing jumping jacks in worship. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. <clears throat> A couple of verses that better be familiar. If they're not, we're going to make them this way. Now, Jesus, just to give context of where we're reading from now, I'm going to read here, then we're going to go back to the Old Testament. Now, Jesus has lived 30 years, essentially and, and almost completely um, unknown to most people, just another person. There are a lot of books that says Jesus worked miracles. There's no biblical context whatsoever anywhere to suggest that Jesus worked any type of miracles from the time he was born until the time that he was 30. Anything that suggests that is extra biblical. Did I, am I saying it didn't happen? I don't know. I'm just saying there's no biblical context, so I don't necessarily believe that. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. 
The Bible said in the Old Testament, for unto us a, a child is born, which happened at Bethlehem, and then unto us a son is given. Son is given is what happens right now. So Jesus, 30 years old, comes walking down the, the banks of the, of, the, uh, of the Jordan, and John says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes down, steps into the Jordan River. Now, Jordan means death or descending. Thank God that Jesus stepped into the places of our life that are descending, that are death. Life, the river of life, stepped into a river of death and was baptized in it. And so Jesus is baptized in the in the Jordan River, he comes up. John says to him, what are you coming to be baptized by me? It's me that should be baptized by you. And Jesus looks at him and says, suffer it or allow it to be so, John, for it behooves us to fulfill all righteousness because any spotless lamb going to have to be washed before it gets sacrificed. And so John baptizes Jesus and he comes up and the Bible says, when he comes up straightway, John says, and I saw the heavens opened and, uh, and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus and lighted upon him like a dove. Now the Holy Spirit is not a dove, but like a dove. And I heard a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him, follow him, look at him. That's essentially what the voice was saying. So we have a, a perfect picture of the triune God right there at the baptism of Jesus. We hear the voice of the Father. We see the Spirit and we see the blessed Son come up out of the river. And God the Father affirms the nature and the identity of Son before it was ever challenged. Because the next thing that happens, the Bible says, and Jesus was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. I'm just giving you context. This ain't the message. So Jesus is tempted by the devil. Forty days, he's tempted. And what is the temptation? What's the temptation? Talk back to me. If thou be the Son of God. The enemy was going to challenge the identity. But Heavenly Father foreknew and foresaw it. So before Jesus' identity was ever challenged, Father had already said, you're my beloved Son. It don't matter what the enemy challenged. I've already told you who you are. You're my Son and I'm well pleased in you. So when the enemy came and said, if thou be the Son of God, Jesus could have been flippant like I would be. What do you mean, if I be? Did you not hear? The heavens were open, and I heard Bill Johnson say one time, if God violently tore open, that's what, that's what, and I saw the heavens open, it's the picture of a violent tearing. If the heavens were violently torn open, then who is it that has the authority to sew back those torn heavens? From the time of that until now, the heavens have been open. So this is the picture. So Jesus is tempted, and the Bible says after these 40 days, I'm, I'm saving you a whole lot of reading from the same scripture, that Jesus returns, how? In the power of the Spirit. Now, real quick, before we get to where I want to go, always the Father will tell you who you are. You need to settle what your identity is, and the way to settle it is to hear the voice of the Father tell you who you are. Your identity is not who you think you are, and it's not even who mom and daddy said you are. Now, they may have heard the voice of the father and agreed with what he said, but your identity, first and foremost, is as a son or a daughter of the living God. And once your identity is sealed, once you know who you are, you can bet your bottom dollar, the first thing that will happen in your life is you will be challenged on that. If you were really a son of God, you wouldn't be going through what you're going through. If you were really a daughter of God, you wouldn't be about to starve to death. You don't need to go through this mess. Just go ahead and make it easy. Command these stones, be made bread. Cast yourself off the hill. Bow down and worship me, and I'll give you all of the, all of the riches of the world. Well, the first thing is the enemy's a liar. So anything that he tells you, you can automatically know. How do you know the devil's lying? His lips are moving. That's how. 
He's going to take a whole lot of what God said, twist it just a little bit to make it sound good. In fact, that's what he did to Eve. But nevertheless, I digress. And so he, Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit once your identity is settled and once you've walked through a challenge of the enemy, challenging what your identity is and you don't follow that, guess what happens? Boom, then you can walk and live and move in the power of the Spirit. So Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit, and the first thing that he does, the first message that he's ever going to preach, the, he walks into the synagogue, and they give him the book, and he opens up the Bible. He's going to open up the book that was written about the Word. Because Jesus is the Word, and the Bible is the book written about the Word. Amen. Jesus, Luke 4, verse 14, Jesus armed with the Holy Spirit's power, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. I'm, I'm giving, he just come out of the wilderness. He walks into the synagogue. They gave him the book. Jesus, armed with the Holy Spirit's power, returns to Galilee. And his fame sp spread throughout the region. He taught in the synagogues, and they glorified him. And when he came to Nazareth, where he had grown up, God, I love it. He went into the, I, I don't have time. He went into the synagogue. When we were, when we were teenagers and learning the Bible. In Sandy Walter's class, Sandy said, Mike Jenkins, read this verse. And Mike said, Sinagogu? We've teased him about it ever since. What are you laughing at, Nebuchadnezzar? <laughs> oh, I've got a bunch of them, too. I've got a bunch of them, too. Did you know, I'll tell you a funny story real quick, because this is a rabbit need to chase. Did you know, have you ever heard a preacher say, I don't have the preacher's itch? Has anybody ever heard that terminology, that phraseology? Nobody. You have? If you're a preacher, if, you, if you're a preacher and you like to be a preacher and you want to do that, not like me where you really don't care, but if you want to do that, anytime you're in a meeting, you think magically you should get up and get called to be the one to speak because, you know, you've got the goods and nobody else does. It's called having the preacher's itch. My dad thought preacher's itch was a singular word. Tony Bunton, as smart as he was. When my mom told me that, I said, what? Did he really think that? I'm challenged in my beliefs this morning. The preacher's itch. Synagogu, Jesus walks into the synagogu. As he always did on the Sabbath. There you go. What does that say? As he always did on the Sabbath. When Jesus came to the front to read the scriptures, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found where it is written, which means he went looking for it. Found where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to be hope for the poor. Healing for the brokenhearted, new eyes for the blind, and preach to prisoners. You are set free. I have come to share the message of Jubilee. Good God Almighty. For the time of God's great acceptance have, has begun. This is the word of Jesus. You've heard it this way. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has, he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, the brokenhearted, to recovering of sight to the blinds and make the captives free, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. But a, a better or at least a good translation, a good rendering of Jesus says, I have come to preach to prisoners. You're set free. I have come to share the message of Jubilee. 
He could have said, I am the message of Jubilee. And in fact, he is going to say that. For the time of God's great acceptance has begun. And after he read that, he rolled up the scroll. Now, if you read in Isaiah, the next part says, in the year of vengeance of our God. But Jesus was just going to bypass that part, roll it up and say, you're walking in the year of Jubilee, the year of the favor of the Lord, the year of the acceptance of the Lord uh, has begun. And after he read it, he rolled it up, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. And everyone stared at Jesus wondering, what in the world is he about to say? They look like what you look right now. And Jesus said this, today, these scriptures came true in front of you. Or as the King James says, today, in your hearing, the scriptures are fulfilled. Literally what he said was, everything that you've believed of Isaiah and everything that you've read in the Old Testament about Jubilee, Jubilee is here. The word... <laughs> The word jubilee is essentially the word trumpet, and he's trumpeting. He's a crystal clear sound. When you hear the word trumpet, you should think of a crystal clear declaration. And Jesus is saying, hey, boys, there's no longer a type or a shadow of jubilee coming. Jubilee is here. Because of my arrival, I am announcing jubilee. It's real good. It's going to get a lot better when you know what jubilee means. Everyone was impressed by how well Jesus spoke in all of the beautiful words of grace that came with his lips. But they said among themselves, who does he think he is? Isn't he Joseph's son who grew up here in Nazareth? And the reason they thought that is because they only judge people by the flesh. But if you ever learn to judge somebody by the spirit, you'll know that ain't Joseph's boy. That's the son of God speaking. Same thing about your neighbor. If you'll ever stop judging them after the flesh, you'll stop calling them a dirty, rotten scoundrel and say, Mac, God, that's a son of God. And that's a daughter of God, full of grace and full of potential. And I'm going to call up the life in them, and I'm going to call up the Christ in them instead of cursing them every time I see them. But I ain't one that gossips. You ain't heard that from me. And Jesus said to them, I suppose you'll quote me the proverb, Doctor, go and heal yourself before you try to heal others. And you'll say, work the miracles here in your hometown that we heard you did in Capernaum. But let me tell you, no prophet is welcomed or honored in his own hometown. Isn't it true that many wid widows lived in the land of Israel during the days of prophet Elijah when he locked up the heavens for three and a half years and brought a devastating famine over the land? But he wasn't sent to any of the widows of that living or living in that region. Instead, he was sent to a foreign place, to a widow of Zarephath of, of Sidon. Now, essentially what Jesus is going to saying is, you think you're special because you're Jewish born, because you're born into the Israeli nation. What I'm telling you is, even in the Old Testament, Elijah didn't come to a bunch of Jews. He went to a stranger. What he's literally doing, he's right now he's including all of mankind, Jews and Gentiles, in this jubilee. He's just announced jubilee, which is a festival, which is a feast, which is the, every 50 years it would happen. We'll read about it in a minute. Where, where debts are released, where debts are canceled, where land goes back to the original owners. In fact, it's a, it's a year where there would be no work, no labor, no sowing, no reaping. Just simply resting in what God has done and basking in the fact that all debts are canceled and everybody that was a bond slave goes free. When everyone present heard Jesus' words, essentially when the bunch of Jews heard the words that you mean you're going to try to include a bunch of Gentiles, you're telling us something here? Here's what they did. They erupted with furious rage, and they mobbed Jesus and threw him out of the city, dragging him to the edge of the cliff on the hill on which the city had been built, and they were ready to throw him off. Man, the, bless his heart, the first time Jesus preaches, and they're ready to kill him. I'm, the first time he goes into his hometown and he preaches truth and he preaches freedom and he preaches and they're ready to kill him for it. Good company, George. 
But he walked right through the crowd, leaving them all stunned. Jesus' first sermon, and they wanted to kill him. That's religious hypocrites for you. Jesus, having just come out of the wilderness, I'm going to read some notes and I'm going to get to the Old Testament, which was preceded by his baptism in Jordan, comes into the synagogue, and his inaugural message is, Jubilee is here. He led with Jubilee. He led with freedom. He led with the cancellation of death. The first thing he said, which is to me, it's paramount. This, above all other things, needs to be heard. I want you to hear this. The first thing that I say is going to carry through eternity. Here's what I'm going to say. Look, Jubilee is at your hand. Jubilee is now. And, and by the way, it ain't just for the Jews. Jubilee is for everybody. That's what made them mad because they were, uh, they were elitists and they thought because they were the nation of Israel, they were the only ones that had access to God and the only ones that would have access to God. And Jesus is setting a foundation that Paul would pick up later and say, hey, Jews have nothing to do with blood or not blood. Now, you, now you're the nation of Israel, those that are born after the Spirit. Amen. Jubilee has come. It stunned his audience. Because they knew exactly what Jubilee was and what he was inferring. His audience, after all, was the children of Israel. Way back in Leviticus, God made clear his desire for Jubilee. The word Jubilee in the Old Testament is from the word Yobel or Yavel, meaning a ram's horn or a trumpet. Or a cornet. If someone announced the Jubilee, they would be actually blowing a trumpet and all of the congregation of Israel would be able to hear it. You got to hear what I ain't saying. When the trumpet sounded on the 50th year, and specifically on the Day of Atonement, liberty would be proclaimed throughout the land to all of its inhabitants, and then all of the property that had been taken by others for unpaid debts would have to be returned to the original families. Now we're going to read Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. Verses starting eight. I think I'm just going to go eight through 12. Count off, this is God speaking, count off seven Sabbaths of years. Seven sevens. Seven times seven years. Seven Sabbaths of years adds up to 49 years. Then the sound loudly blasts on the ram's horn on the 10th day of the seventh month, the day of atonement. Sound the ram's horn all over the land. Sanctify the 50th year. Make it a holy year. Proclaim freedom over all the land to everyone who lives in it. A jubilee for you. Each person will go back to his family's property and reunite with his extended family. The 50th year is your jubilee year. Don't sow. Don't reap what volu what, whatever volunteers itself in the fields. Don't harvest the untended vines because it's the jubilee and a holy year for you. You're permitted to eat from whatever, from whatever volunteers itself in the fields. In this year of Jubilee, everyone returns home to his family property. This is the precedent set. No work, no labor. Here's what we're going to have you do. I'm going to have you rest. I'm going to cancel every day. Now, somebody's hearing me, and somebody's hearing me. I want to see the ones that are actually hearing me. I'm going to cancel every debt, every Every handwriting of ordinance that has been written against you, I'm going to cancel it. Every debt that you've incurred, whether it was a good debt or a bad debt, come year 50, come Jubilee, I'm going to cancel it. Don't you worry about it. It's going to go back to its original owner. See, what happened was God promised his people a land. And when they finally came into the promised land, the land was divided among his people as an inheritance. 
But what happened was through the years, people would need money or, or make bad decisions and sell the land. But on the 50th year, whatever God originally intended, the inheritance that was always supposed to have been theirs was going to be theirs again. And there wasn't anything that anybody could do or say about it. It doesn't matter how much the debt was. It doesn't matter how bad the debt was. On the year 50, on the year of Jubilee, this is Jubilee. On the year Jubilee, when the trumpet sounded, everybody shouted for joy. And everybody became gloriously full of joy because they knew there ain't a thing that can be held against me. There's not a chains begin to come off of slaves and ropes were taken off of slaves and debts were canceled. And everything that was originally intended by God came back to its original owner. And Jesus walks in on the synagogue, G, on his first message and said, you don't understand. Because I'm here, because I've been sent, everything that has been stolen, everything that's been sold, everything that's been pawned, everything that's been borrowed, I'm about to bring it all right back around to its original intent. Well, what was the original intent? To walk and talk with Father in unbroken communion on a daily basis. That was the original intent. You can go back and look in the Garden of Eden to see what God's original. The, and the voice of the Lord God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. That's the, that's the Bible. Walked with Adam. They were such at one in the garden that whenever Adam spoke and said, that should be named Lion, the father's thought is that's exactly what I was going to name it. So be it. He knew father's heart and he knew his mind and he was fully unclothed, but he didn't know it because his focus was not on his nakedness. His focus was on the glory of God with which he was clothed. And Jesus walks into the synagogue, the synagogue and says, hey boys, remember Jubilee? You're looking at him. It's the same when he would look at the hypocrites, the religious leaders and say, hey boys, the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. You're going to stand here and you're going to look to the sky and wait for some magical, mystical thing to happen. And the truth of it is, it's right here. It's at hand. Jesus, having his knees in the gritty gravel of the Garden of Gethsemane, would say, would say something like this. No man has ever yet ascended up into heaven except the Son of Man which came down from heaven and is in heaven. Now, how is he able to say that with his feet firmly planted on the soil of the earth? Unless heaven is not this space that's somehow separated from us, but there's a dimension that coexists at the same time, parallel with what we understand as our existence. What if there is truly a spiritual realm that is not something that is to come, but that's something that's here right now? Not that just is here that we can access. And because we can access it, we can access the goods and the services of that kingdom in our here and now. Just take out the words, what if, because that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Hey, boys, the sin, sickness, and curse, it all has to do with, it all has to do with the fall. But I've come to bring jubilee. I'm going to cancel sin, and I'm going to cancel sickness, and I'm going to cancel the curse, and I'm doing it right now. That's what he said. Let me finish reading. Jubilee was celebrated every 50 years in the... 50th year, after seven periods of seven years, the following year, all debts are forgiven. If I just said this in the natural to you, half of you would lose your mind. If I said the bank just called, they canceled, your, they canceled the debt on your mortgage, your house is free and clear if you have one. Exactly. That's what most people do. Here I am telling you, you're spiritually and utterly free, and it's spirit, soul, mind, and body, and this is what I'm getting. Cool, man. 
I'm not responsible for your response. I'm responsible for my deliverance. Seven notes, or seven represents the number of rest, the number of Sabbath. There are seven days in a week, seven notes in a major scale. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti. And do is eight or one of the next scale. Seven colors, seven major colors in the rainbow. Seven speaks of completion. It speaks of perfection. And after seven sevens, we come to 50th day. After creation, God rested on the seventh day. Slaves in Jubilee were to be made free. No more bondage to sin. No more bondage to disease. No, I'm talking to somebody. No more bondage to confusion. No more bondage to habits. No more bondage to brokenness. No more bondage. No more slavery. Debts were canceled. The entire year was to be a year of rest and celebration. But that was only the type. That was the, imagine that, literally 365 days, you didn't have to go to work a single day. And not going to work didn't cause you to fall behind because all your debts were canceled. You're starting with a clean slate. You're starting with everything erased. Nothing is against you. Nothing can be said about you or against you because God said, I, I, I say you're free and I say your debts are canceled. What if I were to tell you, what if Jesus were to appear today and say, hey, listen to me. I'm telling you, the, the debt that sin had, it's been canceled. The debt that you had to curse and law, it's been canceled. Well, if you can hear my voice, you can hear his. This year was to be a year of celebration. This was only the type foreshadowing the jubilee which was to come, which was heralded by angels and some shepherds in a field. Jubilee was never meant to be just a day or a year because jubilee is a person and his name is Jesus. God, bless America. And he needs to. Today in your hearing, or in other words, hear this announcement of jubilee and pronouncement that all debts to sin... All debts to sickness, all debts to the curse, and all debts to the diseases are forgiven. The presence of Jesus cancels all debts. I said the presence of Jesus cancels all debts. The presence of Jesus forgives all. The presence of Jesus brings a season of rest. The presence of Jesus makes the blind to see. The presence of Jesus makes sin, sickness, and curse canceled. Oh, my God. Jesus came as our jubilee to redeem us from every claim that sin could ever make upon us. Jubilee is not a day or a year, but a person, and he's here. And in his presence, there is true joy. There is rest, rest, rest. In his presence, there is forgiveness for sin. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his presence, there is life everlasting, and, and, and that more abundantly. In his presence, there is no impossibility. He is our jubilee. It's no, no need for us to wait anymore. What are we waiting for? Prophet Smith used to say it this way. He's just wait, waiting on your believer button to be worked on. All things are done. All things are completed. All things are completely and utterly accessible to you right now. Not some glad morning right now. The lie is what the lie was. And what was the lie? For God knows in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God and your eyes will be opened. The lie was, you got to do something to be like God. The lie in 2021 is, you have to do something to access and to be righteous enough or to be holy enough or to be good enough or to be whatever enough to access what God has for you. The truth is, you were born with everything you would need to access everything that Jesus paid for on your behalf. 
When Jesus died on the cross, when he went into the tomb and, and, and when he shouted on the cross, it is finished. He actually meant that. And when he came out of the tomb, everything that he had proclaimed was made legal from that day and forevermore. And because of his death and burial, resurrection, ascension, and coronation, all things that lead to life and godliness are accessible to us right now. Our issue is not what's accessible to us. Our issue is we don't know. We've not been told. Even now, some of you are thinking, okay, I'm kind of hearing what he's saying, but how do I access this rest? It's, 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 it's counterintuitive. It's completely illogical because we're taught from the time we're children, go work to make something happen. I'm not saying you shouldn't work. For God's sake, I know some of you should, and that's fine. Everybody, that, that's perfectly fine. But what I mean is we're taught and we're programmed. You have to go do something. You have to go produce something. You've got, if you don't, and that's fine. But the truth of it is in the kingdom of God, all things are reversed. We're not working for favor. We work from favor. I'm not working to get God's approval. I have God's approval. And so now I work with his approval. That's why the father said to Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. He started from a place of adoration and favor from his father. And he worked all the days of his life in favor of the father. Never had to work for that. We're taught you got to work for that. Do something good and I'll be proud of you. I tell my, sometimes I tell my children I'm proud of them when they make the dumbest things. Like when David turned the lights off a minute ago. Proud of you, son. I've always tried to be careful to even to say, I, I never try to tell them I'm disappointed in them. I try to say stuff like, I'm disappointed in what you did, but I'm never disappointed in you. It, those, those things actually, psychologically, they matter. We learned as, a, as, a young, as, a, as young parents, don't say stuff like good boy. I'm, I'm not telling you what to say, what we learned. Don't say stuff like good boy or good girl, because then they think what they do makes them good or what they do makes them bad. Instead, say good job. And, and I thought, man, that's kind of awkward. And the more I thought about it, I was like, man, there's some real truth in that. I don't want their identity to be in what they do. I want what they do to come from a secure identity. You're a good boy and you're a good girl. And you're good because we said you're good and we love you. And you can work from that. And you don't have to earn my favor. You got my favor because you're my boy and you got my face. You got my favor because my blood is in your veins. Period. And it doesn't really matter what you do. Of course, I want you to do good stuff. And of course, I want you to do right stuff. But I can't think of a good parent who completely and utterly loves their children with that when they make a mistake. Oh, I'm not going to claim that one. No, you love them. You love them and you want what's best for them. If you being evil know how to love your children and give good gifts, how much more will your father, heavenly father, which is in heaven, give good things to those which ask? That's actually, that's the red word. If you go one of them old Bibles, the red word is Jesus' words. They type it in red. It's what he said. Deal with it. It's the red word. Deal with it. Gee, there's not one single thing you can do that will make you not God's son. Did you know that? Well, now you know. Glory, glory. <laughs> We're, you're not a human doing. You're a human being. There's freedom and understanding. Wait a minute. I'm, I, I'm a child of God. 
The Jubilee is not an event. The Jubilee is a person. And that person happens to be related to you. And you happen to have that same blood running in your veins that was in his. So you can walk and live and move and operate in the spirit of Jubilee no matter what is surrounding you. That's why Jesus would fall asleep in his boat and be sleeping in the middle of a crazy storm. He knew who he was. I think he's waiting for some people in 2021 that'll say, it doesn't matter what the storm is around me. I'm going to sleep in my boat because I know that I'm going to the other side. I know who my father is and I know who I am. I'm telling you, the biggest message that needs to be preached, especially in the Western church, more than anything, and maybe in the world, is the message of identity because we don't know who we are. We simply don't know who we are. And because we don't know who we are, we don't know what belongs to us or what rights that we have and privileges we have as sons and daughters of the king. And then there's taking a step further. Once we kind of start to understand who we are, there's another step. Paul said, even though you might be the prince of all things and, and, the, and the heir of all things, you're not really much different than a slave until you grow up. Now, here's the part where people get mad. This part where people get mad because like, well, you know, God's my father and I have all things. You know, yeah, but you get offended every time somebody posts something on Facebook and it might even be about you. Somebody put something on, I, I hate those things too. The little inconspicuous, what they, you know, well, I'm not one to put my business out there, but let's just say, you know, some people, just call them by name and tell them. I hate those things. It's funny to me, the most offended people always post stuff about other people being offended. Did I say that out loud? Anita, would you get Steve down here and protect me? You can always tell the most have you ever seen him in church? The preacher will be saying something and he'll be talking about gospel and they're doing this. And their, their thought is, he's talking about you. By nature, we project. We can only see through the lens, the lens that we've set for ourselves in our own perspective. Why are you telling us this? I'm telling you because some of you know who you are. Some of you can fully accept, okay, I'm a child of God. And yet you still struggle. And you, and you pray and your prayers don't seem to be getting answered. And you walk and it seems like, you know, your prayers don't get above the ceiling. Why? Probably because you're not very mature. Except for Tanya just now moving. That's the quietest it's been in here. Huh? Tanya was writing notes down. I need to stop being offended. You threw food? I'll take some. Did you actually throw food? A slave differs nothing from a son as long as he... <laughs> no, I don't want to. Thank you. Season. Jubilee is not a season and it's not a time. It's not an event. Jubilee is a person. You got to understand in the Old Testament that there were metaphors and similes and things that pointed to what was going to be a reality when Jesus came. But when Jesus came, all of those types and shadows were fulfilled in him. And so we can read the Old Testament, and we should. And is it God's word? Jesus is God's word, and the Bible is the word written about him. So yes, you should read it. But if you don't read it through the lens of the understanding of who Jesus is, it's just some, some, some books. But if you can read it through the lens of the life of Jesus and understand all of it pointed to him, oh, 
So you mean I don't have to count down the 50 years for me to walk in jubilee? Jesus, when he said it is finished and he came up from the dead, he became our jubilee. And if I walk and identify with the risen Christ, then I can walk and live every day freed from sin and sickness and curse. Yep, that's exactly what I mean. That jubilee is more about a person than it ever was about an event. That's exactly right. Now, really, all I got to do is, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what Kelly, Kelly Varner said this in our church one time, and it stunned everybody as much as it's going to today. He said, do you want to know how to live in utter and complete joy? Everybody's like, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like the bait. He's about to reel us in. Anytime somebody like, with, like Kelly does that, you got to be careful because you don't know if it's a trick question or not. You want to know, know how to live in completely and utter peace and joy? He said, forgive everybody of everything all the time. Well, yeah, we say that. And I mean, I, I know some of you mean it. I don't mean, but we say, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, until you're the one offended. And then it's like, well, I mean, Josh wasn't talking about me. I mean, I'm not really offended. Yeah, you are. And your offense is a trap. If you look up the word offense, I won't preach that today. It's a trap. Imagine a box up here and a, and a stick with a rope to it, and the cheese is underneath it. The offense is the cheese, and if you go take that cheese, boom. You trap yourself in offense. And in 2021, my God, just look around. Everybody's offended by everything. Everybody's offended by, we're offended by everything. We're offended by movies. We're offended by books. We're, we're offended by everything. Everything offends us. It's the most offended generation, and that's the reason we don't accomplish a whole lot. Superficial, rotten on the inside. Jesus is looking for someone that will walk in his jubilee, that will walk in the fullness of their identity and say, you know what? I'm going to be a light in a dark world. If we already understand that our sin debt is canceled and that not just sin, sickness debt is canceled. Do you know the word salvation is not just the salvation of your soul, but by definition, it's the salvation of your body. You have the right because of the blood of Jesus to healing and to wholeness and to, and to live and walk in divine health. You have that right. It's not just a possibility. It's a right. And we don't access it because we're afraid. Or our experience has been we pray and things don't happen. So then we lessen our theology to match our experience instead of letting God be God and wait for our experience to catch up to the reality of who he is. We make excuses for God in theology. He don't need your excuse. Well, why didn't it work? Why don't you ask him? Probably because you got some sort of offense in your heart somewhere and you don't want to deal with it. And of course, it's everybody else's fault. You're ready for Jeremy to come back with the boat, ain't you? <laughs> <laughs> my, my primary calling is not pastoral. You can probably tell that already. I don't have a whole lot of powder to rub on your hind ends. I got to tell you the truth. I got stuff to do, and I need you to grow up. It's funny, I know. I, know. I need you to grow up. I want you to grow up because I want you to, Jesus, until he was 30 years old, which, which is full adulthood in Hebraic custom, Hebraic culture, that Jesus didn't even walk in, in, in his sonship until he was 30. Joseph come out of the pit when he was 30. David received not one but three crowns when he was 30. 30 speaks of full maturity. And the problem in the church is we don't have mature sons and daughters. We have sons and daughters, but they're a bunch of babies, and they wear diapers, and the whole thing's a stinking mess. Because nobody wants to grow up. 
And what's worse, the reason nobody wants to grow up is because what Paul said, you have many boy teachers, but you have not many fathers. You know what a father will do? A father will tell you, hey, boy, you better get that mess together. Get it right. Fix what you did wrong. I've, how many times Jacob, I mean, I, even the tone of my voice, they know it. I could tell Jacob, son, I love you. And I know you're 18 and you're trying to become a man and all that's good. But you need to fix this. And you know what he does? He fixes it. Because that's what a father does. A father doesn't say, well, you know, he'll just have to learn the hard way. No, fathers don't do that. And a good son listens. <laughs> Look at her preach. I wish you would. I got four of them and two good daughters. They listen. And they don't listen because they're afraid of me. If they're afraid of anything, they're afraid of disappointing me. We need fathers in the kingdom. We don't, we don't need, we, you don't need somebody behind the podium every week, you, you know, rubbing your hiney and telling you how wonderful and beautiful and, and, and holy and, and beautiful and sweet and, and gorgeous you are. Those things can all be true. What we need is somebody to say, hey, you ever going to decide to grow up? Because until you grow up, yes, all those things are true, but you're going to live like a slave the rest of your life. You're going to live like a slave to your mindset and a slave to your offense until you finally grow up and realize you're a whole lot more powerful than anybody's probably ever told you. Grow up. Grow up. Grow up. Why do you want us to grow up? Because the, the world is waiting. They're dying. Waiting for someone to carry the light of the gospel, not just in word, but in deed to them. Finishing up. Eli, you want to play some keys for me? Just keep it soft and light. Sometimes growing up means we got to make hard decisions. One of the biggest growing ups I had to do was when I woke up one day and said, my God, what in the heck did I do having six kids? How many times have we looked at each other like, what have we done to ourselves? We got to pay for all this. <laughs> and there's a reward in having them, but my God. I came to preach Jubilee. I came to tell you who Jubilee was. I came to tell you it's not a season. He's a person. But I also came to tell some people in here, now it's time to stop being offended at everything. You got to grow up. You already know who you are. You're fully comfortable being called a son and daughter of God. You walk in that identity. But until you grow up, how do you, okay, well, tell me how to grow up. Jesus told his, what did he tell his followers to do? Go and make one of all nations. What's the word? You mean he didn't say church people? Did he say church people? He did not say go make church people of all nations. That's not what he said. Go and make disciples. What's the word disciple, Nanny? Yeah, disciplined ones. To be a disciple means you're disciplined. Can you imagine walking under, under, under the tutelage of Jesus himself? That's what his disciples did. That's how they became known as disciples because they learned by discipline. The Bible says the father chastises those that he loves. In other words, he'll correct you. He'll set things straight. I'm not here because I'm mad at you. I'm not mad at a human being in here. I'm here because I see your potential. But I know you ain't going to get to that potential as long as you're stumbling over every little offense that's thrown in your way. For some people... A stepping stone becomes a stumbling block. And for some people, what was meant as a stumbling block becomes a stepping stone. 
And if you learn how to take those stumbling blocks and turn them into stepping stones, before you know it, you'll be in a whole different stratosphere. You'll be in a whole different dimension where those people that, and those things that used to bother you, they just won't bother you anymore. I can tell you, just since my father died eight years ago, eight and a half years ago, there are things that would have utterly bothered me. Like, for instance, people leaving the church. And nobody's done that that I know of lately, so I'm not talking about whoever just popped in your mind. They popped in your mind, but they're not in mine. They're in my heart, but I, I don't go chasing them. Fa- prodigal, prodigal father didn't go chasing them. I'm not going to chase them. Eight years ago, when somebody left the church, I would lay at home and cry and think, what could I possibly have done more? Or what did I do? Or, or, or you know, who, why am I in this position? All I'm trying to do is serve and, 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 and create and preserve a legacy. All I'm trying to do is walk in what I've been asked to do. And I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm trying to learn on the, why, why is it this way that every time we get traction, people leave? And man, I, was, I, don't sleep, I don't lose sleep over that anymore. I'm not hard and I'm not callous, but I understand I'm not responsible for the way people respond to the word that's given here. I'm just responsible to give the word. I've had more people that have left because they're offended and they're offended because they're immature. And it used to be that I would correct someone, they would leave and then I'd go apologize to them for correcting them because I didn't know myself. No, that's not the way it works. I don't ever go to my son and say, Jake, you know when you hit Isaac in the eye and about knocked his tooth down his throat, I'm sorry for telling you not to do that. No, I'm not sorry. Don't do it again, dummy. You put your hands on him again, I'm going to put my hands on you. I'm going to lay my hands on you and it won't be for praying. Isn't that what the old church people used to say? I'm going to lay hands on him and it won't be for praying. Is that Charlie? Good Lord. What's up, man? How are you? I'd be better if I had my glasses on. I would have seen it back there. I hadn't seen Charlie in a long time. Offended, 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 offended. Offended, offended. All it is is a distraction to get you from walking into who you're supposed to be. Some of you are probably offended that it's uh, 12, 15, and you're afraid them Logan's rolls are going to get cold before you get there. They ain't going to take the ovens out before you get there. They can throw some more in. Who said that's right? I'm going to expect 12, a dozen rolls from you today with some butter on the side. What, give you 24 back? It's an IOU. You might want to keep that one. <laughs> it's wonderful to hear about preaching about Jubilee. And it's wonderful to hear about what we can do. And it's wonderful to hear about all that is accessible to us. And yet we'll never, we'll never grab any of it as long as we're so easily offended. And, and the most offended people I've learned are the most insecure people. And most of the time, the reason they're offended is, is because they're insecure. And most of the time, the reason they're insecure is because they're not, they don't know what, who they truly are. They're, they've lost their identity. But if you ever regain your identity, you know who you are and what you're called to be. And you begin to grow up. Guess what? All the goods and services that are available in the kingdom of God, they're accessible to you. And you get them. I'm not trying to prolong and I'm not trying to drag this out. I just, I, I, want, I look for, <laughs> when I build a fire, like at my house. Sometimes you can douse it with gas and sometimes it works. Most of the time when I look for it is one spark, one little twig to catch fire because if I know if I can get one to catch fire, the rest of them, before long, it'll be a blazing, it'll be a blazing fire. So I know when I preach stuff like this, I'm not exactly expect to light the church on fire. I'm looking for one person. I'm looking for one heart that says, God, I'm tired of being 
living like this. I'm tired of living the same way that I live. I'm tired of living feeling defeated. And I'm tired of living in sickness. And I'm tired of living in this lifestyle. I'm t- whatever it is that I'm t- If there's more for me, and there's truly more, and there is. And you've paid for more for me. I'm not going to remain where I am anymore. If I've got to get up and press like the woman with the issue of blood until I get up to the hem of your, that's what I'm going to do. I'm looking for one. Let's all stand. I'm finishing. I'm looking for one that'll say, I'm not going to stay here anymore. I've lived this way long. I won't stay this way anymore. I'm looking for one who knows that you're a son or a daughter of God, but you live in perpetual offense. And that, and you don't, you didn't know maybe till today that that offense is keeping you from the glory that God wants to reveal in your life. If any of this is you, hey, Kimmy, see, when I come down here, I can see better. Hey, Josh, how are you? Come here, give me a hug. How are you? Good. Hey, cutie. She's smiling. Did you see that? She said it's gas. Ouch. I'm offended. (laughs) No, I'm not offended. Promise. I'm looking for one. One. I won't live like this anymore. I'm not going to forfeit what God has for me anymore. I'm not going to forfeit my inheritance anymore. Come hell or high water, I'm going to get what God has for me. I'm looking for one. Who's that one? I want you to come up here at the front with me. The rest of you do what you got to do. But I know there's one. In fact, I believe there's more than one. Just come right up here with the front with me. One who's ready for not a season, but come up here. Looking for one spark, one flame, one twig. I'm not calling you twiggy. You're waiting too long. You better get up here. You four up there, get down here and help me pray. You live too long beneath your privilege. And I'm done with it. And the Lord's done with it. And you're done with it hear me I've loved you from the day I met you and vice versa and God has always loved you your calling on your life is too important and it's too valuable from this day forward you're going to walk like the son that you are I'm not correcting you I'm trying to help you you want this help boys you love him you love G put your hands on his back for God's sake your name is Gabriel father this is my friend Gabriel I thank you for the spark that I saw in his heart about six or seven minutes ago I know who he is and I know what you've called him to do. I don't know all of it, but I know what you've shown me. I know that he was named Gabriel on purpose. I know when I read in the, in the Bible, there's a, a, there's a scripture that says, I am Gabriel that stands in the presence of the Lord. And now this morning in 2021, this Gabriel stands in your presence. I pray, Father, that everything that has kept him from the fullness of his inheritance would burn from him this day in Jesus' name. Father, that his life that was always yours will be yours from this day forward, Lord. That he would look to be the husband he's called to be and the father that he's called to be. And not just that, Lord, but the leader in his generation that he's called to be. He's the only Gabriel and the best Gabriel that you thought of when you created him. Help him to walk in the fullness of that from this day forward. Because the kingdom needs him. Help him from this day forward to see himself only as you see him in Jesus' name. Thank you for Christina, Lord. 
Thank you for the fire that burns in her heart, Father. Help her to walk in her jubilee. Help her eyes to be open to see herself as she is. From this day forward, let her eyes be open, Lord. To see you as you are, to see herself as she is, so that she can love others as they are in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing it. Listen for the... Hey, Becky, come up here and grab this mic. Let me play that, Eli. I just want you to sing that chorus one time. We're going to finish up just with worship. You can come up to the front and pray. You can go outside and shake people's hand and tell them have a good day, however you want to do it. But we're going to go out this way. This is what I feel. Thank you. Boy, you got to turn me up. the free man singing he's delivered me look out for the woman shouting his garment made me clean listen up for the seasons changing he's rebuilding everything listen for the people shouting for the 